Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, this week as I was preparing, I was thinking about, well, we have a whole week and I was just thinking about many of you who, uh, I know kids are in town, some of you from college, and some of you first time back from college, so welcome home. And I know some of you have uh, sons or daughters, or and some of you here are, you can now work remotely in this new world, so you can come home and stay as long as you want, and then go back for no apparent reason, but you can still go back to work remotely. So uh, welcome to St. Basil's, welcome back home to you as well. And you know, the, the idea that came to me during this week was, there's two different ways to prepare. And what you prepare for determines a lot of how this week and how Christmas Day is going to go for you. Are you preparing for a day or are you preparing for a person? See, if you're preparing for a day, right, you're a lot at your own ideas, your own plans, your own dreams, your own hopes, your own ideas on how it's going to go. And at the end of that day, you get to judge, was it a good day or a bad day? Meaning, did it measure up to the categories in your mind on how it was supposed to go? And for some of you, in the evening of the 25th, it's going to be a big relief. But for most people, if they're planning for a day, there's a sense of kind of, well, it was good, but it wasn't the greatest. There's usually a little bit of disappointment when you're planning for a day. When you're planning for a person, it's the person who determines a lot of how you prepare. And when the person's Jesus, he determines a lot. And what he determines is really what's in his heart. What is his desire? And once we come to see that, we can come to recognize, oh, this is how we need to prepare. So in the second read, I'm sorry, in the psalm tonight, we heard, let him enter. See, there's a cry in the heart of God that says, I am almighty, I created the stars, I'm the reason anything exists, and yet when it comes to you and me, I respect your freedom. I will not coerce or force. I'm simply asking, would you let me in to how are things going? Would you let me in to the stress and frenetic pace? Would you let me into the joy and laughter? Would you let me in to what's going on? Because I won't barge in. I created you as a person, and therefore your freedom and your willing to engage in relationship, God honors. But we see his desire to want to enter in. We see it again in the second reading with St. Paul, who says, I have received this grace from Jesus. Once again, St. Paul realizes his identity, his life, everything that's going to make life meaningful and beautiful, it came as a gift. It's nothing he manufactured, but he realized Jesus was eager to share it with him, but he had to be vulnerable enough and receptive to the gift of Jesus. He had a role to play. Was he going to stay closed off and in charge, or is he going to be open? And then finally, with St. Joseph in the gospel, we see, it says in the final line, he took Mary, and then Jesus in the womb of Mary, into his home. Once again, this bringing close, that God is a God who's always drawing near to us. 
He always wants to get in and be close in our real lives, not some weird quote-unquote spiritual life, but in our real life, in a home. And so if this is God's desire, then how we plan for him is going to matter a lot. And I think one of the biggest obstacles that perhaps you and I can just notice throughout the week and kind of surrender or maybe repent of and work against is the obstacle of judgment. We tend to judge things in two categories, ideal and then real. We have the ideal Christmas, and whether that's for you looking like a Norman Rockwell painting or it's something else, we have the ideal Christmas, and then we have the real one we experience. And we always think, well, there's a big gap. I mean, it's what it was, okay? But see, these judgments of ideal and real, these categories are so unhelpful, and they're so inaccurate to what the Bible is trying to form us in. See, the Catholic worldview is a very unique view on the world. It's very unique because we have something called the sacramental principle or the incarnational worldview. What this means is that the ideal comes to us through what is real. Or in another way, the infinite, the joy, beauty, ecstasy, and bliss of heaven and God comes to us through what is finite. The invisible speaks to us and draws near through what is visible. The spiritual comes to us through what is physical. And so when we keep these things opposed, two things happen. One, we tend to have all or nothing thinking, either it's perfect or it's bad. And two, we're unfaithful to the very revelation God's trying to teach us, that he's always drawing near and speaking and loving and consoling and wanting to build you up and me up through the very real circumstances of our life. Let's go back to the gospel today. We've heard it so many times we forget how this is a really bad situation for Joseph. This is not the ideal, all right? Joseph is a righteous man, which means he sincerely seeks pleasing God and doing his will. He studies the Torah as a good faithful Jew. He practices prayers every day. He tries to live a life of virtue and holiness, and he's in love with Mary. They're on their way to be married, and he, out of all women, he picked a really good girl. You know, Mary, great choice, Joseph. And then there's this thing he finds out. Mary's pregnant. This is not the ideal circumstance for a man who's righteous. And so he has to navigate, okay, well, I love her and I don't want her to be shamed, but I also want to please God because I'm righteous. So he finds this kind of middle way. I'll, I'll kind of do it quietly and just kind of fade away when an angel in heaven intervenes and gets him to realize a miracle's taking place. But the miracle is this, the ideal union with God, being loved by God, sharing in the life of infinite love, life, power, and ecstasy, it's coming to him through this real circumstance. He doesn't somehow have to get to a holier setting. God's breaking in in his life, and he ends up entering into Joseph's home. How does Jesus get close to Joseph? Through a woman who got pregnant, and it's not his kid. That's how Jesus gets close to him. Not an ideal, but the ideal comes to him through the real. 
Here's a couple examples in my own life. Many of you know, before I entered the seminary, I was a professional jazz musician. I was a trumpet player. And I got a phone call one day to play with a band that was coming to town. And these were members of the Count Basie Orchestra that were still alive. All right, so those of you who don't know Count Basie, uh, it would be like if you got called to play basketball with like LeBron James. Okay, it's, it's the best, it's the Mount Rushmore of the jazz world. Okay, and Count Basie's dead. Most of the people who played with them were, but some of the old cats were still around, all right? And they were touring around and you had to fill in. So I got a call saying, would you like to fill in? 18 years old, getting to play with people who used to play with Count Basie. An ideal circumstance, all right? So I go, I play, the night was great. All things considered, I did a good job. We hung out, we talked. I got to hear amazing stories that don't make it into books and things. And afterwards, the owner of the jazz club's talking to me and I could see in his eyes he was just like, this has got to be amazing for you. I mean, just as a jazz musician, 18 years old, playing with this amazing group. And I could see why he thought this was like a dream. But the truth was, I was wildly dissatisfied. In fact, it was that night that I decided to quit trumpet. I was like, this is as good as it gets. You're never going to get better than playing with Count Basie. And it turns out this isn't the life I want. I didn't like it at all. See, the ideal was not there. I had a great night and everything worked out wonderful. But the real was, and God reached me through what was real, the dissatisfaction of my heart. And if you don't know this, I didn't go to the seminary. I actually became a comedian first. Then I went to the seminary. So we got there eventually. But once again, the ideal reaches us through what is real. Here's another circumstance. About six months later, my home parish called me and said, we need some adult volunteers to take out trash on a high school youth retreat, on a life teen retreat. I didn't go to life teen in high school. I didn't even know, didn't practice my faith. And I thought, well, this is a weird phone call, but uh, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Go for it. So I go and I'm taking out trash and Saturday night, as happens on youth retreats, they said, would you, do you want to go to confession? I was 19 years old. I was living a life of jazz and comedy. I hadn't been since I was eight years old to confession. Uh, I needed one, needless to say. And so I was like, okay. I went, I didn't do an examination of conscience, had no idea what I was saying or doing. The priest was really old, half asleep. I don't even think he heard what I said or understood what I was conveying. And he said, all right, good, five Our Fathers in front of the Eucharist. Not ideal. So I go, I go in front of the Eucharist and I start to do my penance and I had my life-changing encounter with Jesus. In the Eucharist, Christ really conveyed to me his kindness and his tenderness, and just simply said into my heart, I know. I know how hard it is for you, I know what you're going through, and I'm here. Changed my whole life. Here's the thing, a retreat experience is supposed to happen at a retreat house, like a Hiram house, where there's beautiful property, kind of in this retreat setting, or like in the mountaintop experiences. The retreat I went on, the youth minister forgot to book it, and we were at a rundown, almost out of business holiday inn. The beds weren't clean, the lights flickered in the conference room, and that's where I had a profound experience of Jesus. Not ideal, but Jesus could still reach me through what is real. Final one. Right before I was ordained, I went on a 30-day silent retreat. I was silent for 30 days. Let's move past that, okay? Good. 30-day silent retreat, and it was beautiful. Right? And these kind of retreats are supposed to be done like there's a retreat house in Maine that overlooks the ocean. Right, so you're looking out, that'd be beautiful. Or there's a beautiful one in South Dakota where you're overlooking these just fields and you can see the, 
the wind blow back and forth and quiet and still. Program I was a part of, it was at Creighton University in downtown Omaha, Nebraska. Right? About 15 of us. First week of our retreat was glorious. No one's on the campus, just walking around at night. I could walk through the city kind of contemplatively, quiet times in the chapel. I'm learning to hear God and speak to him, praying with him scriptures. It was just quiet, beautiful time. Second week was a uh, local camp for middle school girl cheerleaders. It's about 200 middle school girls descended upon this camp, uh, descended on the college campus, and there we are, 15 of us studying to become priests in a silent retreat, juxtaposing with glitter and pom-poms and a whole week of uh, cheer camp, taking selfies for them when they asked us and all these things. Third week, right, they decided, Creighton University decided to do construction, and right next to the chapel we were praying in, they decided to do demolition work on the base of the structure. And so the whole time you were praying, you just heard, doo, 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 nonstop. And yet, though, that month was some of the most beautiful things I ever learned about God, myself, the church, being human, and the goal of the gospel. It was life-changing. Not ideal, but the ideal, God himself, reached me through what is real. This week, we have the opportunity to surrender our judgments because we're preparing for him, not for a day. We have the opportunity to recognize in our own selves where perhaps this Christmas is really sad for you. Maybe there you're just sensing a loss or it's not really what you wanted. But perhaps the sadness is intensified because you're thinking of a day, not thinking of him who wants to be with you and love you in the sadness. Perhaps you're thinking, listen, this year it's going to be great. we got all these things together. Might I gently remind you that your family and you are sinners. And they're probably going to disappoint at some point. Not because they're any worse than anyone else, but because they're people. And people make mistakes and people have brokenness. And so if you're looking for the perfect Christmas day, chances are you're going to end up pretty disappointed and miss out on the way that God is breaking in through the little and big moments, because he can reach us through anything. That's what makes him so amazing. And so this week I invite you, notice where you're at. Notice what you're going to be doing to prepare. And take a few moments here and there to just adjust the posture, to realize the God of the universe who calls you by name, who loves you so much he's willing to go to the cross and back, who is easy to forgive, easy to forgive you, it's easy for him to love you. It's easy for him to fill you with grace. He can reach you through anything, but he respects your freedom too much to force it. And so we have a role to play. So let us, like Mary and Joseph, give our yes. Amen.